What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Are you ready for a conversation about sports cards? I think you are, or at least I hope you are. Appreciate all you loyal listeners out there making Stacking Slabs your hobby content alternative. I'm fired up to be joined once again with my man, Jake Roy, at 90s B-Ball Cards. He has amazing regular content on his YouTube channel about an era that we know and we love. What I wanted to do with Jake, with the NBA season tipping off, I wanted to kind of walk away from what's front and center, what's hot, what's trendy, what's prospecting, and take a couple steps back and identify ways that we can take a trip down memory lane and start thinking about an era of cards and players and teams that we know and love. I'm really excited for this conversation. If you're thinking about getting back into basketball cards, or maybe you're already there and want to dig deeper, you're not going to want to miss this one. If you like what I'm doing, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. You know the drill. Most importantly, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying stacking slabs. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, Stacking Slabs listeners? I am excited about this conversation. I was sitting there thinking about basketball, obviously watching it with the season tipping off and thinking about collecting basketball cards. And I kind of went down this uh, rabbit hole of nostalgia and I thought to myself, okay, like if I were getting back into basketball cards, where do I start? And for many of us uh, and probably the demographic that listen to the show, it's the nineties. So what I wanted to do was bring on my guests, who you all know, who's been on here before. He's got a YouTube channel that I'm sure you've stumbled across, or perhaps you're a subscriber. If you're not already subscribed, uh, he runs 90s B-Ball Cards. I got my man Jake Roy on the program today, and we are going to talk about how to get started with or restarted with collecting 90s basketball cards. So without further ado, Jake, welcome back. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Happy to be back. Always a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. Maybe before we get into the card stuff, we have, I don't know, by the time this goes live, it'll be about a week and a half or so into the NBA season. Have you been watching any uh, games, any early observations? Let's start just with the game itself. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, My wife is a big Warriors fan. So whenever there's a Warriors game on, uh, you know, she puts it on before I even suggest it most of the time. So, you know, usually I'm putting the kids to bed. I come down and she's already watching, which is nice. So like last night we were watching them play against the Kings, which was a great game. It was a big back and forth. And, you know, at one point they were up 20 and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, this is actually a game coming down to the fourth. So a lot of fun, you know, seeing kind of the next generation of that team, what could be with, you know, Weissman, Poole and, you know, Kaminga didn't get a lot of burn last night. My magic are fun to watch again, which is, uh, it's been a long time since I could say that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that team gels over the, over the course of the season, you know, the young nucleus, uh, that has a lot of potential. So yeah, it's, it's a fun, very early beginning for, you know, where I'm watching anyway. Yeah. I think, uh, it's funny. Um, when, when I think about just the NBA and early, I gravitate towards my pacers and then, uh, a rookie like Benedict Matherin and obviously, got a pretty good one in Orlando as well. And I think it's funny. Those are the players that, uh, that would be my early storyline of how, how good the rookies are. 
this conversation is kind of like opposite of that. We, we are <laughs> going to spend a lot of time talking about waiting for Prism to coming out, come out and go buy a bunch of rookies. It'll more, it's more like rewind the tape, but I don't, I don't know. It seems like it, maybe we'll get a comment here and then we'll jump into the card stuff, but it just seems like, I know it's early, but it just seems like this rookie class is performing at the highest of high levels that I can't even imagine right out of the gates. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a really exciting rookie class to watch over the years. And like you said, uh, Benedict, I was really excited to see where he would land in the draft. I think he's going to be phenomenal. Like, you know, Keegan Murray, we're talking about the, the Kings, uh, looks like he's had some flashes. Uh, there's so many, you know, Jordan Ivy in Detroit. There's so many teams that have had a history of, uh, not being strong contenders that have really good young players. Uh, and some of them even, you know, when you talk about Detroit, they have a duo of really young players that could be very good. So it's, it's almost like we're in an era where we can see the tides might start shifting for a few teams if they get a couple moves right, which is just, it's, it's fun to see a lot of parody also. It's fun when you don't have the same teams, you know, for two decades dominating like we did, you know, back with like the Lakers and the, and the Celtics back in the eighties. So it's an exciting time that a lot could change. So when I typically do a little bit, I, we know each other and I, but I always try to like do a little bit of like, check the Instagram feed, check the YouTube uh, channel um, before I get on and talk to a guest again. And something that you've been saying for a while, but I think would be a good segue into the conversation is then on the headline of your YouTube banner, it says the most passionate content for card collectors. And that's something that certainly resonates with me and the content that you're producing on a regular basis. Maybe uh, I think so much of what we see kind of in the hobby mainstream is about like the financial benefit or cards as vehicles for cash. That's like invades our stream, but I go hit your YouTube page. You're opening up old packs of basketball cards, talking about old sets and you're very passionate about it. And I'm sure the people who follow you and subscribe to your channel comments, like a lot of it is about that connection with the past and people enjoying your content because it makes them feel a certain way. So maybe like when we're talking about nineties basketball cards, of course, there's so many grails that are hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, but talk a little bit about just like that feeling that you have and the reason why you started your channel that surrounds nineties basketball cards. Cause I I have a feeling a lot of people listening out there can relate. Yeah. You know, nostalgia is like one of the biggest drugs for a lot of us is so a lot of cards for me, my desire for them isn't necessarily because, you know, it's, it's going to be worth a bunch or it is worth a bunch or, anything like that it's it's the memories that are tied to it you know ripping packs with my brothers and my dad and trying to get a certain card uh or you know something that i knew existed but i had never seen it you know those type of things really get my my juices flowing and i was putting together a list for like my top 10 most wanted cards uh and when i was thinking through it i was imagining if i walked up to a booth and saw it at the national like what would be happening inside my brain and my heart and you know just like okay, I have to move mountains to make sure that I get this card in my, you know, and those are the things that, that get me excited because like you just, you know, we all saw the Mickey Mantle, it, it, you know, in the corporate area at national. And it's like, that's cool, but that doesn't get my juices flowing, you know, but this Penny Hardaway that I haven't seen that there's only 25 of that gets me really, really amped. And it's just like, oh boy, I have to get this. What do I do? <laughs> but also trying to keep it cool so that the person that owns it doesn't know that they can charge you, you know, an arm and a leg and you'd still be willing to do that. So, 
I love that. So maybe like, let's start here. When I think about the nineties and think about basketball, there's a lot of things like, you know, whether it's the movies, whether it's the video games, whether it's like NBA on NBC, our teams that we supported, the jerseys we have, there's like a lot of things I can grab a hold of to be like during that period of time, that player really meant a lot to me. And so as someone who's in their mid to late thirties, I'm going to go and I'm going to go pursue their cards because I want to reconnect with them. I want to learn what sets their end products. I guess question to you, I know Penny's your primary. You've got guys like Michael Finley that you are still collecting. You've got ancillary players, I guess, like, how do you recommend, like we decide who we collect and maybe what are the best ways you found through your own uh, experience in doing the YouTube channel to connect with her past? Yeah. One, like I'm a big proponent of going after a player that you love, regardless of why you love them. Um, and for some people, maybe they don't have that one player. Like, you know, like I said, for me, it's Penny, you know, for you as a Pacers fan, it might be Reggie Miller. Uh, maybe they don't have that one player that really gets them amped. But if there's a team, like, let's say you're a big Grizzlies fan, you can go into the lexicon of Grizzlies players and be like, okay, Bryant Reeves, Sharif Abdurrahim, Mike Bibby, you know, and look through those players and say, okay, which one as a Grizzlies fan gets me excited, you know, and you can do that for, for any number of teams. Or if you've got a team, you know, that has a little bit shorter of a history, like let's say the, the current iteration of the Hornets, where it's kind of like, okay, do I side with the Pelicans more than the Hornets? And like, sometimes there's other avenues through that, that you can figure you know, it doesn't have to actually be that one team, but I think honing in on like a player makes it easier to go and really dig deep into what cards exist of that guy. Um, you know, and, and if you have that connection to that player or the team that that player plays on, you know, it, it makes it even more fun. Cause then you, like you said, you see the jerseys throughout the years, you see the shoes for me are a big thing. You know, you see the stats on the back. You can remember, oh, this is when they made that run or this is when this big moment happened. Uh, you know, and it just, it brings back all those memories. Again, that flood of nostalgia uh, just kind of washes over us. Let's re- let's revisit your PC. I know Penny's at the top. Uh, you've got other guys involved in it. Um, talk a little bit about like one, like who is involved in that PC and then just like allocation of time resources, like your management of it all, how it works. I wish I could manage it all. <laughs> um, yeah. So like if I think about my PC pyramid, Penny, Penny's at the top, but Penny with the magic is really the specific thing that I hone in on. I dabble a little bit with the Suns, but usually like that first year Suns, I call it the Charles Barkley uniform. If I'm going to get Suns, it's probably going to be those. Uh, then I go into Iverson only with the Sixers and KG only with the Timberwolves. I have a few with him with the Celtics, but you know, even though I'm in New England, it's it's not the stuff that I love. And then there's also Michael Finley, as you mentioned. I also get into Lamar Odom with the Clippers and Baron Davis with the Hornets. So now you start seeing like, you know, uh, then it goes even deeper. Then I get into football with the Packers. I'm a Packers fan. Love Reggie White. Get into a little bit of Brett Favre. I was just telling you before we got on camera, a little bit of Mason Crosby uh, for some modern stuff. Um and then like a little bit of Vince Carter with the Raptors. So there's, there's so much stuff and it's all because of nostalgia. But if somebody, like if somebody comes to me for a trade and they ask me, what am I looking for? I'll tell them Penny, a little bit of Iverson and KG and any other nineties that you have, I'll take a look at. The Baron Davis and the Lamar Odom interest me because I think you're probably, you could probably open up Instagram 
and go six months and not see anyone post a Baron Davis or a Lamar Odom card, which I think if you then posted one, like I'd, I would stop and be like, oh, wow, I haven't thought about Baron Davis in forever. He was awesome. That shot in the playoff. And I'd go down this like whole memory rabbit hole. And yep. then I would be thinking about Baron Davis probably for the foreseeable future. So like with, a, with guys like Baron Davis and Lamar Odom, who weren't like probably not hall of famers, but had decent careers. Like what was your connection with those players? And then what was your connection enough to like, go start, you know, spending money on their cards in 2022. Right. Yeah. So Lamar Odom was a guy in the draft. I'm a big draft nut for both for the NBA and the NFL. Uh, so in 99, when he was getting drafted, I, even though I'm a Duke fan was like, he should be the number one pick. He's phenomenal. He's just unbelievable. And he wasn't the number one pick. So that made me kind of feel like he was a little bit of an underdog and I just liked his game. I just thought he was going to be a really, really strong player. And I also felt like that Clippers team was going to start moving in the right direction. They didn't, um, you know, so there's a lot of stuff to get me excited for him. Um, and then when there was like that scare, when he like had the overdose and all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden I was just like, I really like this guy. Like I was cheering for him to get healthy and he, he is thank you know, thankfully that he, he, he recovered, but I was like, I, I want something to remember him, you know, through all of the, the fun times that he had on the basketball court. So, uh, you know, getting his cards was, was that way for me. Um, and I, you know, I love a good autograph of his. A lot of those aren't with the Clippers. A lot of those are with the Lakers. My wife likes the Lakers. So, you know, and she also liked him when he was on the Lakers. So there's a lot of ancillary reasons I can come up with for Odom. Baron Davis, on the other hand, I wasn't as keen on him, same draft class, until he had that playoff run with the Hornets. And I was just, you know, I was watching him. I was mesmerized. And then the dunk contest, I thought he was a lot of fun. Just seemed like he had a really fun personality. Um, But also, like, he was just an explosive athlete. He, you know... A lot of people might not remember his explosiveness uh, when he was before the knee injury, but uh, you know, he was just as explosive as like a guy like Steve Francis or, you know, not quite as explosive as a Derrick Rose, but just a a powerful guard that was very different at that time. So I guess those are kind of the reasons, I don't know, nostalgia also jerseys, all kinds of stuff. (laughs) I love it. I can certainly relate with that. I'm sure most people out there listening can too. All right. So Jumping into like collecting 90s basketball cards, I think I always like to think about just collecting segments because it provides an opportunity to shrink the hobby see a little bit and provide focus. But then you if you segment everything else out and just focus in on 90s basketball, it's it's still, you know, substantial. It's still vast. Mm-hmm. If I'm listening to our conversation right now and I'm getting into cards, like my mind immediately goes to junk wax, things that, you know. I collected as a kids that were in binders that I put in top loaders, more common stuff that I could Mm -hmm. find anywhere, um, which is great. Like, I think there's a a place still for a lot of that stuff in in our collections. But I guess when we're jumping back into 90s cards, I'm sure there's some exploration around that stuff. But then there's probably like education or Mm re-education on like what's new. So I don't know, like what's your like, Diving headfirst in, like there's a lot of different ways we can go, but like, what's, what do you think the best, you know, method is to, in order to like jumping in a nice basketball card. So it's not just like, a, I'm here for a month and I'm gone, but like mm-hmm. the best way to approach it so that you're going to stay, you're going to spend money and you're going to connect with kind of your past. Yep. 
I think the the first thing, like we talked about earlier, is finding that that player or that team that you're going to connect to. And that's the first uh, kind of sticking point. And then I think if you're segmenting it down, which I think is a wise thing to do, uh, for 90s, there's really two big categories that I think are, are key. Uh, and some people focus on one or the other. And it's inserts and parallels. Uh, you know, so when we're talking about parallels, we're talking about like the PMGs and the credentials and the rubies. Uh, and when we're talking about inserts, we're talking about like the scoring kings. We're talking about uh, hot numbers. We're talking about cut above. So those will kind of also different people will gravitate towards different ones for various reasons. I can speak the praises of both endlessly. Um, but it, for some people who collected in the 90s, there is a larger focus on inserts. So that might be something that pulls people in that collected at that time. For people who are more into the modern stuff, there's more of a focus typically on the parallels. So that might be something that's more of a uh, you know, sticking point for a more modern collector getting into the 90s. So I think those are the two very segments that, uh, that people can focus in on once they figure out that, that player, that team that they want to uh, hone in on as well. Can you maybe sp- on the parallel front, can you maybe speak to the fact that, you know, we think about parallels now in modern product and every modern product has parallels and parallels on top of parallels but in the 90s it was more of a newer thing and there weren't as many so because there it was newer and there weren't as many the parallels that exist back then like the pmg um, like the credentials are more desirable and the Mm -hmm. value is higher so maybe like talk a little bit about navigating that yeah no that's a really good point because you're right in the 90s we saw what we know now as prisms and, you know, we've got silvers and all those other colors. There was only one, there was a refractor, uh, you know, which started in 93 finest. Those weren't numbered. So, you know, those are really fun to, to chase, but they were also very, very hard to pull. You'd get like one or two in a box. So they're, they're scarce, but they're also the only one. You know, when we talk about PMGs, there's only two colors you've got, you know, for at least the 97 metal universe set. And then some of the other ones, you've only got the one PMG when you look into the championship parallels. Uh, and those are all numbered. They're very low numbered. You've got 10 for the basketball in the red. I mean, in the green, you've got 90 in the red. Or if you look at the championship, you've only got 50 of those. Uh, you know, so you've got the serial numbering that's very low, but it's also harder if you're looking at it from a parallel of like prism when. People are focused on things like gold, things that are numbered to 10 or less. You're not going to find that in the 90s because there's only that one parallel or maybe two. Uh, so finding something that's numbered to less than 100 in the 90s was ridiculously hard to get um, and very, very rarely seen. You know, you think about the first credential set that was numbered to 399 and 499, depending on which uh, which sport you're looking at. And that doesn't seem that rare by comparison now, but they were very hard to get. If you're, if you were ripping that in the nineties, you, you know what I'm talking about. So one more thing before we get into maybe like, I want to tear this out and just talk about like the different, like lower mid and higher end and maybe share your perspective on kind of, if you were jumping back in for the first time, what you would be attracted to and some of your favorite products. But before we do that, Grading obviously is such a big thing and anyone out here, whether you grade cards or not, um, are aware of the value that can be added via grading. But I'd love for you to comment on this is where there's less serial numbered cards in the 90s. 
So you get those cards graded. And if I'm collecting those, I'd probably grade them anyways, but the value probably doesn't change drastically based on just the scarcity of certain cards. I'm thinking most specifically around the PMGs, like we saw it, Mm -hmm. you know, the Jerry Rice PM, it was, you know, we're talking football here, but you know, the green uh, at 15 copies, PSA six sold for 150 K. So that's, that's, that's a little different than what's happening today. So maybe talk about a little bit about just like the, the grading of it all. And it's in like where you've got uh, car, not a lot of cards. So it doesn't really matter as much the specific grade, but then you've also have like refractors that aren't uh, serial numbered. So maybe the grading uh, PSA 10 commands more about val- way mm-hmm. more value than an, an a, a eight or a nine. Like talk a little bit about just navigating grading of nineties parallels and inserts. Yeah. Like I think one of the things we have to think about first is to the credit of the current, you know, the modern production cards come out of packs typically in very good condition in comparison to the nineties, you know, grading didn't really start to get popular until the early two thousands. So it wasn't something that was an option for most nineties collectors at that time until later on. And depending on how people took care of their cards, you know, if they were sitting there in the three ring binders and getting banged up when people pulled them out to go and grade them, Sometimes uh, they weren't in great shape, but sometimes coming out of the packs, they weren't in great shape either. So with that in mind, you know, an eight for most average uh, 90s cards is a good grade. You know, if I pulled something out of a pack in the 90s that got an eight today, I would be pretty happy. It might not necessarily translate to the value depending on the card. uh, But like you said, with a PMG, an eight's a good grade and that will demand more uh, than a six or a seven because, you know, if you find a 10 of a PMG, you found a true unicorn. They just don't come up. Uh, they just don't exist, really. The, the way that those cards were produced, it's, it's ex- exceedingly hard to do. So the other piece, like you were mentioning with, with the 10s, the pop count is really important also with a lot of those. Because sometimes, for pennies, for example, a lot of those don't end up getting graded. So when I go and look at the pop report, if I've got a 9, some I think, like, um trying to remember the card. There's one card I got recently that's, it's a, the nine is a pop two, none higher. There's no tens. And that set has a bunch of die cuts and foil and everything. They don't grade very well. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't any tens in the world. They just haven't been graded yet. But a lot of them won't get graded. A lot of them are tucked away in collections. People like them raw. They're going to leave them that way. Uh, you know, So looking at like the Jordans and the Kobe's and realizing, okay, there's only 10 tens. There's you know, 99s, 208s. If you want to get that 10, one of those 10 that exists, you're going to have to pay a premium for them. And it's going to be a hefty one uh, because it's it's very hard to find them in good condition out of the pack. Even the ones that are still sitting in packs, if you open those packs today, good luck getting a 10 out of those packs. <laughs> you do this. You exactly. open up older packs regularly. And I'm guessing the condition of those cards just didn't turn great overnight. They're still the way they've always been, right? Absolutely. The Baron Davis Ruby that I luckily hit, uh, it's always nice to hit PC. It's it's off with CSG right now. And I'm not expecting that to get a high grade. I'm not expecting an eight. I'm not expecting a seven. Honestly, if it got a five, I wouldn't be surprised, but it was, you know, it doesn't take away from the card for me. What was going on in your mind when that happened, when you hit that card? Yeah. So it's, it's a funny one and I'm glad it was caught on camera because I was opening it with my brother and my brother actually opened that specific pack. 
and the the card was sticking to the card in front of it and i was like oh oh give it to me let me handle that (laughs) you know it's like if i'm gonna damage it let me be the one to damage it because it was sticking pretty badly but yeah it's it's a funny one i actually looked back at it a couple weeks ago and i was like this is you know and that's the fun of having a, a channel that i can record some of the stuff and these memories with my brother or my daughter and stuff uh like that that it would be a memory that would still stick with me, but having it on camera that I can share with people is, is a lot of fun. That's amazing. All right. So I, this is uh, this section of the conversation. I want when we're you're sharing, I want everyone in the audience who's listening to, to feel some, feel some nostalgia. I'm sure based on the way you share and talk about cards, it's going to bring up probably some sets and products that people haven't thought about in a while. And I think the, I think my call to action with the community would be to uh, focus some time and just go through your favorite selling platform and just look at some of these cards again. And if they make you feel a certain way, then maybe it can help inspire a new collection. But let's start here. I'm getting back into 90s basketball cards and maybe I don't want to spend a bunch of money, but I want to feel something. I want to connect with something. So Maybe, and this can be through your own personal experience or just like from looking at other things people collect, but talk a little bit about lower tier collecting and just like products, methods, ways that you can go have some fun if you're just getting started. Yeah, I think there's so much fun in some of the the lower tiers, some of the stuff that's rare, but not as celebrated, not as expensive and some stuff that's even not that rare and, you know, less expensive but still look really cool it's it's a lot of fun when you find some of these things and you're like this is just neat i just like this um you know so like one of the sets that i think about is like 99 2000 ud holographics where every card in the base set was essentially a refractor they all had rainbow holofoil you can see them listed on ebay sometimes as refractors they're they're not they're base cards but then all of the inserts with one exception all had that same refractor finish but in different patterns Right. So like the the geometrical shapes in the background changed on each insert. And then they also had parallels that were gold. None of them are numbered. You know, so it's just those have a lot of eye candy, a lot of shine, a lot of the stuff that we like. They're not chromium, but it's hollow foil. It's rainbow. It's shiny. Um, and they're just really cool. And they still had Jordans, which in 99, 2000, you didn't get a lot of sets that had Jordans. Um, so, you know, there were some inserts that that featured him, which is nice. Uh, but they don't break the bank either, you know, with the exception of like maybe a Kobe here or there. Uh, most of them you're going to find for, you know, $10 or less. You know, some of the bigger players that are the golds, you might have to pay up a little bit more than that. But, you know, again, I'm talking raw graded copies aren't easy to find because those didn't get graded a whole ton. Um, so that's one that I think about, uh, you know, then like another one I think about a very specific parallel uh, again, 99-2000 Stadium Club Chrome is a fun set. They only did it one year for basketball. And they had parallels that were refractors. They had parallels that were first day issues, number 200. They had parallels that were first day issue refractors. You know, So that's that's a mouthful, but it's like a parallel within a parallel. And those are numbered to 25. Those are ridiculously hard to find, but they're not terribly expensive. Again, if you're looking for, uh, we mentioned the Grizzlies. I just saw a Bryant Reeves sell the other day for, I think, $10. You know, I think the last time we talked, we mentioned big country as well. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's got to keep it going. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Whenever I think of 90s, 
cards and I think of it like having us and this is like, a, I feel like you're busting a myth for me because this is in an area where I spend a lot of time. But whenever I think of 90s cards and I think of a serial number on the back, I automatically take my head to, man, this is going to be expensive. And this is something that it's going to be hard to get into right out of the gates. But this portion, we are talking about lower end cards and you're talking about serial numbers. You're talking about Bryant Reeves, who's very nostalgic to many of us. And you're saying like, it's not going to cost us an arm, arm and a leg. Is that, is that just like a general myth that it's like not all serial number nineties cards are something you need to take a second mortgage out to, to go uh, grab? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a, a lot of that is because of the PMGs. And especially like when we look at the Jordan PMGs, people think, okay, PMGs, 90s, parallels, serial numbered, they're expensive. And a lot of them are, but not all of them. Uh, and I think that's, like you said, the education and digging deep is where you can really find that cool stuff that you don't have to take a second mortgage out for. You know, especially when you start getting to the later 90s, they knew that serial numbering was, popular, was becoming more popular and more desirable. So they were doing that a little bit more. They weren't making it any less scarce. It's just like some stuff like the Jambalayas, you know, a couple of years before were very scarce. They didn't serial number them. So there's questions about, okay, how many are there? Uh, we may never know the answer to that. But um, later years, they realized if we serial number these, collectors will like it more. Uh, not that they were going to be more valuable. It's just something that, that people enjoyed knowing how many there truly were out there. I'm guessing there's a blowout thread or a dozen around speculation on how many Jim oh, yeah. Lyons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. always, I always hate Google and I'm always just like, I can't wait until the blowout thread comes up. That was put out in 2013 and there's, you know, I love that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and, and Michael Moeller is one of the guys that I go to if I'm like, okay, what's the speculation? Cause he can like kind of give me the TLDR on it. Um, because he's been doing some of the fuzzy math on some of those non-numbered serial number, non-numbered rare inserts and parallels for for years and years now. That's amazing. Okay, so now uh, gave some recommendations on lower end. Now uh, I've got a couple hundred bucks burning a hole in my pocket, and I want to I want to dig in, maybe advance past some of these entry point '90s cards. What direction am I going? Like, what are some things I should be looking at in the mid-tier? Yeah, so the, the mid-tier stuff, I would start looking at uh, some of those numbered parallels that are, you know, a little bit higher end. You know, we're talking about like Flare Showcase Legacies. Uh, there's a lot of really cool ones. It, it depends on the player, obviously. If you're looking at the Jordans of those, you're talking thousands, tens of thousands of dollars if they're graded. You know, but I'm I'm also thinking more of the the semi-star all-star type player, not the megastar hall of famers. Even though, you know, that's that's probably tricky because you know Mitch Richmond and Alonzo Mourning are are Hall of Famers and people might think of them as semi-stars. So uh to that point, there are a lot of very accomplished players in the 90s that aren't necessarily the most collectible players for various reasons. And uh, you know, you can sit there and be like, Yeah, I have the best collection of this Hall of Famer. And it didn't, you know, break the bank. I know somebody that has an incredible Mitch Richmond collection. And it's like, when he tells me that he has to save up for a card, I'm like, okay, what are you going for? Because this must be <laughs> enormous. <laughs> so, um, so that's one that I look at is Flare Showcase. Beautiful cards. Uh, you know, another shiny one, but not chromium. Uh, and then, you know, something else that I think about is jersey cards as you start to get into the later 90s. 97 jersey cards, if you want something affordable for hundred bucks or less, or even $200 or less, it's not going to happen, but you can get into like 99, 2000 Jersey cards. 
uh, for certain players. And you can, you know, get like a Keith Van Horn, for example, I think is probably going to be like, you know, 30, 40, $50. So then you can go up from Keith Van Horn, of course. <laughs> Keith Van Horn, like, I swear to God, whatever he did, I don't know if he just hit this, the, when he was drafted, the sweet spot, but if ever I'm talking nineties cards, Keith Van Horn comes in the picture at some level, maybe just a quick aside, like what, what is it about Keith Van Horn that keeps him burned into our brain? I mean, he wasn't like, you know, a, a perennial all-star or a hall right. of famer, but he's always a guy that comes up in conversation. What, what is it about him? Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. He was the number two pick in the 97 draft behind Tim Duncan and everybody knew Tim Duncan uh, was going to be the number one pick, but uh, Keith Van Horn was not far behind him. So people had a lot of anticipation for him. Uh, you know, he's kind of like the great white hope, you know, the next Larry Bird type of thing. So he was a big man that shot a little bit before the stretch four was really a thing. But also, I think his his knee high socks were just iconic to people. They were just like, this is weird, but cool. Uh, you know, and he was good his first couple of years. So it's like sometimes when you do those weird things and you're good, it just sticks. Uh, and it's, it's something that also visually, uh, you know, if you see somebody from the knee down and you can recognize them in, a, in the back of a card, uh, they probably did something uh, worth noting. <laughs> I, I need to get the stats to validate it, but I feel like he became more of a killer the older he got. And I just think about some of those playoff series uh, nets and pacers and he mm-hmm. was just brutal, like just flamethrower after flamethrower. I was like, damn it, Keith Van Horn again, you know? Yeah, and he had some good years with the Bucks later in his his career, like you were saying. Um, that I'm, I don't remember them because I didn't really pay attention to the Bucks, but uh, I'm sure he probably put daggers in the hearts of many other fans. Yes, so I think context setting is really important, and so getting into like the higher end, I think it's important for us to like maybe caveat this conversation by saying like we're probably like not talking about Michael Jordan, we're probably not talking about Kobe Bryant. We're probably not talking about like the higher end players because we all know that you out there, the listener, likely like it's a very small percentage of individuals who can go in and just like wreak havoc in that area around those players. So like part of the objective of this conversation is to get you to think about what are cards that we can collect that we've seen the Jordan of, we've seen the Kobe of, and is just a player that means something to you. So I just wanted to make sure as we were talking, I was like, I want to make sure I set that context, but like mm-hmm. getting into like the higher end, we, you mentioned PMGs, um, but maybe like share, like if you were going to explore, uh, you know, being a Keith Van Horn collector or somebody similar to that, like what are some of the higher end products that you gravitate towards? Yeah. So for me, and we've mentioned a couple of them, but like Jambalaya is one of those inserts that I think is just, I look at the penny that I have often. It's a gorgeous card uh, that doesn't get old. And like you said, you know, you've got players like Eddie Jones in that set and Antoine Walker and Stefan Marbury that were a lot of fun to watch uh, that aren't going to, you know, kill your your wallet quite the same as those bigger name guys. Uh, you know, so that's one. Again, I, I look for stuff visually pleasing, um, but that's also hard to find. So another one is the, I just got the penny, which I'm very excited about still is the 97-98 Stadium Club Triumvirate. Uh, there's three tiers, and the least common, the most rare, is the Illuminator, which if you're looking at the Series 2s, um, you know, they're, they're acetate, die-cut, and they have a refractor finish. So there's a lot going on. Uh, but they're very delicate cards as well. So there's a lot of, a lot of players in that set. Uh, those are beautiful, but very hard to find. Um, and then a third one that I'm thinking of is the Ultra Stars Gold. 
there's the ultra stars insert set and then there's a gold parallel that have some really cool hollow foil you know just a lot of stuff to look at again that's another penny that i, I pull it often i love it um hopefully you all are out there uh, taking notes or have your uh, creating safe searches and checking out some of these cards um before i let you go jake i'd love when i think of 90s basketball cards in the community i think of just a ton of passion um i love it Although it's not a lane I currently collect in, I love seeing this stuff posted by accounts and collectors because it makes me feel something. I get hit with a wave of nostalgia and it gets me to remember that area in my life. And it usually typically makes me really happy. So I think, you know, obviously you have a channel which you, everyone out there should go follow 90s B ball cards on YouTube and follow Jake on Instagram. But maybe what are some of the kind of current crop of collectors out there? Um, and I know you, you probably aren't going to be able to hit everyone, but just what are uh, some names out there of accounts that you follow or channels you follow that kind of inspire you to keep going and doing your thing? Yeah, this is this is always dangerous because I'm always going to forget somebody and then afterwards, you know, bonk myself on the head. Uh, so one of the channels that inspired me, I don't think he makes content anymore, but he definitely posts occasionally on Instagram. He's a wealth of knowledge is Lingua Sports Cards. He gets into a lot of other sports other than basketball, but incredible 90s parallels, very rare masterpiece uh, collection stuff, great stuff there. Another wealth of knowledge is 90s Wax, Roger Maris. Uh, he's he's active on the blowout forums. I'm trying to remember his screen name, but uh, big Keith Van Horn collector, Artie Man, I think. Uh, there's some numbers in there. I can't remember the numbers, unfortunately. But uh, if you want to see the most impressive collection of 90s nostalgia, I think, Keith Van Horn is, is a guy to dig into, like we we're talking about. Uh, Glenn Rice 90s cards, I can't forget him. He's He's got a wealth of knowledge as well. Incredible Glenn Rice cards. Mostly 90s basketball. He's got some incredible stuff. Late 90s b-ball. Uh, Wax and packs 90s for some uh, another guy that loves uh, Michael Finley. Uh, so there, there's a lot. Buck and Tier, a guy who loves Mitch Richmond. He's got some incredible stuff. So there's, yeah. Some of the 90s guys, some of the biggest 90s guys, though, uh, aren't on social media. So that it's it's tough sometimes to find uh, some of those cards. But those are some of the guys that I go to for uh, a little bit of eye candy when I want some. I love it. Everyone hit follow on those accounts. Uh, surround yourself with 90s collectors when you're trying to get educated. I wasn't planning on this, but I love your take on this because I, as this conversation has kind of gone on and maybe we'll close it out with this. When I think about like current open up Instagram 90s entering my feed, I, and this is probably on the category of like complete absurd ridiculousness that 99% of us can't go jump in and do what this guy's doing. But have you been following this uh, Naz Nubs page and what he's doing? Because I'm yeah. seeing this stuff and I'm like, is this for real or is this for real? Yeah, no, um, unbelievable stuff. That, and he's like, he's a guy who's very laser focused, right? I'm going after this parallel or I'm going after this set. And then I'm doing all of that. And then I'm moving on to something else, which kudos to him for his discipline. And I know he was in Atlantic city and I was hoping to bump into him, but he, he left before I, I found him. So that's unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, it, it, he's got some great eye candy and the, the, the nice thing too, from what I've heard from other people is if you have something that he wants, it's easy to deal with him, you know, which is, which is also convenient, you know? So. I love collectors in the hobby where there's a little bit of, they're a little bit of an enigma. There's a little bit of a mystery about it. I feel like just in following him, it just feels that way. And so I don't know, man, I I've had fun with this conversation and I hope 
anyone out there who uh, NBA season is here. We're all basketball fans. We all have league pass, but it doesn't need to just be about kind of what's new and what's out front and center. I think there's a lot of power in digging back and connecting with your, with nostalgia and no better person to connect with on this topic than Jake. So make sure you go follow his stuff, Jake. I'm sure there'll be another time coming around here talk 90s basketball cards again but i really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us pleasure's mine appreciate it can't wait for the next time there are a lot of really great people in the hobby and then there are people that are next level jake is that next level i always have had great interactions with him go check out 90s b-ball cards on the youtube machine if you're not already Follow the man on social media at all the places. I promise you, you'll feel real nostalgic just moments after you do it. You take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. I'll be back. More stacking slabs for life. Life.